What is up, Daddy Gang? It is your founding father, Alex Cooper, with Call Her Daddy. Priyanka Chopra Jonas, welcome to Call Her Daddy. Thank you so much. Before we even start, I was like, you walked into my house. And I'm like, why do you smell so good? <laughs> now the entire studio smells like you. And I'm like, what? what is this? So I can have this in my studio. What are you wearing? So I don't even know what I'm wearing. I'll tell you why. This perfume is called My Love Has the Color of the Night. Ooh. But I, before I start any movie or before I start a character, I have to find her scent. I need, I, that's how I kind of create, like, that's my character development, who this person is, because everyone has their scent. Right. And the notes in the scent help me kind of figure out personality type. So if she's like soft, tough, strong, vulnerable, you know, she smells a certain way. Oh, she smells amazing. <laughs> I'm also so happy you're here because I don't know if you know this, but my boyfriend and your husband golf together. Oh, oh, you're a golf widow like me. Yes. I was like all the time he's gone. And then I remember I told him we were doing the interview today and he's like, oh, I like golf with Nick all the time. That's and I was like, so funny. That's where they are all the time. Priyanka. Yes, I know. I have my clubs. You know, my husband got me fitted and suited and like he was smart. He tried to get me in, you know. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, come with me. Come, come. That's what they do. I they guess do. it's also a testament if they really like you because my yeah. boyfriend did that too. <laughs> Most men are probably like, peace the fuck out. Yeah. I'm going to golf. And it's like, Bye. Well, not golf. But my I know, boyfriend, that's true. right? Yeah. That our guys want to hang out with us, which yeah. is true. My Like my husband loves when I drive his golf cart around when he's playing and we just like listen to music and chat yeah. and... Um, I like hanging out with him when he's playing golf, but then I don't like playing golf with him. We're on the same page. Yeah. This episode is presented by Sparkling Ice. Turn up summer with sparkling ice. They have over 17 anything but subtle flavors, all made with zero sugar and packed with vitamins and antioxidants, iced tea and lemonade, strawberry watermelon, tropical punch, peach nectarine. Yum. Crank up the flavor, sparkling ice, anything but subtle. This episode is brought to you by new Garnier Fructis hair filler with vitamin C, G. Many things can damage your hair like heat styling and bleaching, but the all new Garnier Fructis hair filler systems can reverse up to one year of damage to your hair smoothness in just one use, giving you up to 79% stronger hair and up to four times less breakage. And all Garnier products are approved by Cruelty-Free International under the Leaping Bunny program. New Garnier Fructis hair filler, pre-shampoo, shampoo, conditioner, and serum are available now on Amazon and at Walmart, Target, Ulta, drug, and select grocery stores. Learn more at GarnierUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Some things work so well. It's basically magic. Like my favorite highlighters that I'm like, wow, how did you all of a sudden make me look glowing? And you know what else really works, Daddy Gang? Shopify. It is a global commerce platform that helps you sell. I've seen a big difference in my online merch sales. They are especially good at turning browsers into buyers. I can see someone that's been on the site but didn't check out or someone that checked out and then is revisiting the site. Like if you want to grow your business, Daddy Gang, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unwell, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash unwell. Do you guys live in LA right now? Yes, we live in LA. At the so moment. you're from India mm -hmm. and your parents were military doctors. You're mm -hmm. moving around a lot. How did moving around so much in your childhood impact you? I think very positively. I don't think it would have impacted me positively till like my dad kind of talked to me about it. Mm -hmm. um, I was in kindergarten. I remember this so distinctly. Um, and it was the first time I kind of comprehended what it was to move. And we were moving from Delhi somewhere else. I can't remember. And I had to leave my friends and my school. And I was doing really well in class. My best friend, her name was Denise. And um, she and I cried. 
And um, I was really mad at my dad. And I was like, I don't want to leave here. Why do I have to leave if you have to leave? And he explained it to me in such an amazing way. He was like, you know, your math class that you don't like at all. He was like, if you go to a new school, they won't know you don't like math. He was like, if you go to the new school, you could be whoever you want. So that really pivoted me for my whole mm-hmm. life. I He made everything an adventure for us. Mm-hmm. Um, every journey, lo- we loved road trips. Mm-hmm. So we used to just like dump our shit in the car mm-hmm. and like drive to the Himalayan mountains and yeah. like go to a small Himalayan like city or mountain city and um, go for the weekend even for like three days. So there was such a spirit of adventure because we moved so much. Mm-hmm. But also I was like, even now, I don't think I have material attachments mm-hmm. like I'm not like I need my bed I don't I can just grab a bunch of shit and go to another hotel and like I can move and like I'm just transient as long as I have my family I have the six things that I like like my swell water bottle which is my emotional support water bottle I have a big old bag of all my Mary Poppins shit like whatever you can think of is probably in there okay first of all that's amazing but I also was wondering like when you're young, I feel like friendship is like, I I mean, you saw my best friend from second grade is sitting over there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it's so hard to move because how were you able to maintain friendships? Was it a lot of long distance friendships? It's so weird. I'm thinking about it now because I didn't realize that during my childhood, I didn't have very long term mm-hmm. friendships. I had friendships for two years, three years, and then we moved. But my best friend, who was my maid of honor as well, and still my best friend, has, like, I've known her for 23 years, you know, since I was 17. She's my longest, I guess, old friendship besides my cousins. I come from a big, large Indian family. Mm -hmm. So that became a sort of consistent friendship. But I don't think till I turned 17, I probably started working, that I had, like, I don't have a childhood best friend that I can, that is still my childhood best friend. And I get that because I I actually think it's interesting. I feel like I've heard so many times when people, a lot of times I think it's kids that say like come from a military background. They're like the new kid in every few years and you have to pop in. That also gives you a sense of resiliency because you have to constantly be the new person walking in where everyone has, has their set boundaries and friends and lifestyle. But clearly your dad was like, I have a secret for you. Life is great when you can pop in and out. It's life changing because it became such a weapon for me, almost like armor. You go to the United States in high school. Yes, I was 13. What was the biggest culture shock for you coming to the United States in high school? Well, okay, I to me, high school in the States was like saved by the bell. It was Beverly Hills 90210. Like, that's what I thought I was coming into. And I landed into Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A little bit different than Beverly Hills. Slightly. Beverly Hills. Slightly different. But in my mind, my 13-year-old mind as someone who comes from India, we have a population now of almost 1.5 plus billion people. It's a very busy um, country. So our schools are very different than yours. Um, we have 100 kids to one class. We have, exactly, exactly. Alex's jaw is on the floor. Whoa. Yes, we have 100, almost 160 to 100 kids in one class. Okay. And the teachers move classes. The kids don't. Can you imagine hallways? Like 100 <laughs> like kids per class. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So our kids stay in their classroom that they're assigned to for the whole day, okay. come out for recess. And our teachers move around. So we had like differences like that. Mm-hmm. Also, I had never been to an Indian school that had a swimming pool, that had like, you know, a football field, that that had hallways the size of a whale. Like there was just so much space in Iowa specifically. Like houses were so far away from each other. I went on bus rides. I didn't even see human beings. I was like, damn. They should take a whole state from India and just, you know, we'd have so much more room. Right. But that was a big thing for me was like I was the enormity of everything. Everything was supersized. I do want to ask you, I know you've been open about getting bullied in high school and I was severely bullied in middle school. I had like, 
I had like the cystic acne that when you like see the pictures, you're like, oh, I can't like look at it. It's like that bad mm. where people are like disgusted with you. Mm. That was me. And it was really, really hard to like love any part of myself. I was like physically bullied. I was verbally bullied. Like it was fucking awful. I literally oh, cry no. every time I talk How about it. How old I'm, like, were you? I, it started when I was like in sixth grade. And I would say sixth grade to like freshman year of high school was like hell like I hated everything about myself I hated the way I looked I like every time I looked in the mirror I would like google any way that I could change everything about myself Mm. so I wanted to share that though because I know that you have been kind of open about you were bullied in high school but what specifically were you picked on for so this is 10th grade um this is in Boston in Newton actually Newton Massachusetts Mm -hmm. my high school was Newton North High School and um I just it was a group of girls and I think what happened was I think they thought it's it's always a boy it's always about a boy I think one of them thought her boyfriend was into me or we were spending time together I wasn't even allowed to go out after school where was I going to be spending time with this boy so when there's this rumor going around that he spent like the weekend with me I don't know which girl he was with but there was some ish like that and these girls just started taking me on but what they started saying was instead of like bitch stay away from my man they started like you know using racial slurs so like I smell curry Ooh, I smell curry walking down the hallway like uh, I don't think she had time to shower like just nasty racial things Mm -hmm. and then it just became bullying because you know pushing against lockers just saying nasty things writing something nasty on the um in the bathroom in the stalls you know it's just like things like mean girl stuff that you know that high school is made of I think it was just who knows what it was Mm -hmm. I can't go back and dissect it I can only talk about how it made me feel Mm -hmm. and how it made me feel was less than Mm -hmm. how it made me feel was inferior smaller it made me like want to dim my shine it made me want to like you know curl my toes and I'm not that girl my parents raised me with confidence they raised me with having my shine and being okay with it Mm -hmm. they raised me like I wasn't shy and they were okay with that they loved that about me and that was encouraged so I started like kind of you know becoming just smaller Um, because I was just like not comfortable with any part of myself. So then I did what my dad taught me. He was like, just pack your bags and go. And I left and I was like, fuck you, America. I'm going back to India. And I went back to India and thank God I did because it's kickstarted my whole career. I'm interested to know, because like I've been working on this in therapy of like, what lingering impacts of bullying were you still or have you realized you were kind of still working through like as you entered adulthood? I should go to therapy more often. Yeah, I don't have a we're therapist. Right now, Nobody explains that. that to me. I don't know. I honestly don't have the answer to that because I just kind of survived life. Mm. You know, I did not have the time or did not allow myself the time to think about it. I did not allow myself to think about why I was behaving a certain way. I just was in survivor mode. Mm -hmm. Um, I think also, you know, I think in my country, we are so many people in India. Opportunities are less. And I think as women, um, I started working as soon as I went back to India after high school. um, I won this little pageant called Miss World. And that (laughs) just little thing. Because I think culturally also, you know, we've we are taught very often in in countries that are developing in developing countries mm-hmm. that um, you know if you don't work hard and if you don't like work hard every day, it's going to be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to every single you can't rest on your laurels. You can't take a second to be like, oh, I just had that. Let me just take a second to celebrate. You don't have time right. for it. Somebody else is going to take it from you. Mm-hmm. So you kind of are always in survival mode. And my my twenties were entirely like that. Like, I didn't take a vacation till I was in my 30s, I think, because I was like, oh, no, someone's going to take this from me. Right. I have to keep running. This survival mode you're almost like working on. Like, what did shift for you mentally when you won the Miss World pageant? I thought I was so all that. Can you imagine? I was 18 years old. Just come out of high school, literally with all of that drama and saying, like, leaving, breaking up with the whole country. I broke up with America. 
I was like, this sucks. I'm going back to India. And when I went back to India, I land into this small town called Bareilly in India. I walk into army public school looking like that girl. And everyone in army public school wears uniforms. We're not, we're not allowed to, because of the socioeconomic differences between kids, mm. schools prefer uniforms. So everyone's the same in class. Okay. Um, so no one can be like, ah, oh, I'm wearing this like branded thing and the other kid doesn't have it. So, and I walk in like, I don't know, man. Like I was Angelina Jolie or something. I felt myself so, I was like, you know what, Janine, Janine was her name. Um, I was like, you know what, Janine, when I landed into Burley, I was like, I am the queen of this castle. You cannot take that away from me. I was such a peacock. Where do you think you got that oh confidence? God. I fucking love it, though. I made it up because that's what my dad told me. Remember, he was like the maths teacher that didn't like you. The next school, they won't know that. We'll never know. So you could just be whoever you want. And I realized that I've done that so many times in my life. Mm. It's such a repeat pattern for me. I'm not afraid of walking into the party alone. I'm not afraid of walking up to someone and saying, hey, this is my name. Right. I'm willing to learn from you. But have you ever, because I think that's an amazing quality, but I'm wondering, have you ever, on the opposite end, had a hard time if you're having a hard time do you always end up walking away because you just know you can leave and you can go somewhere else not in relationships i never did okay. i was like i had the longest relationships like oh, snooze like six years five years like never you're in that shit <laughs> i was like in it for forever i just find it i'm a cancerian i find it hard to break up <laughs> got it but socially i guess there is no issue with being like if you're tr being treated poorly peace bye i don't need to deal with no this. i never like that's so funny and i need to unpack this with a therapist somebody please send me recommendations I'll you up with therapist i i need somebody to explain this shit to me because i behave so weirdly because no when i'm treated like shit i kind of like i'm okay staying in it <laughs> You're just like, I whatever. used to be okay staying in it for a very long time mm -hmm. because I was like, this doesn't affect me. Yeah. You don't hurt me. You don't have the power. But I didn't realize it was chipping away at my soul. Mm -hmm. So I used to stay, whether it's professional relationships, personal relationships, especially when it comes to human beings. I was like, if you're being mean to me and I, I want to, you know, like on set or something or divas you know I've, i'm an actor i've worked with actors right i've met a lot of divas and you know people who need things their way or the highway and mm -hmm. i used to be able to just you know let it be water off my back i would be yeah. i would tell myself that it doesn't affect me i'm professional i'm just going to work through it or i'm loyal so i'm going to stay in this you're hurting me because you're probably hurt you know, I always had that, some sort of empathy. It took me till my like late 30s to finally be like, I'm not taking your shit. Right. Like that's shit. I smell it from a <laughs> distance and I'm not sitting in it. Right. Like, fuck you. Fuck I'm you. Leaving. But I didn't know that for the longest time. It's so interesting <laughs> getting to know you because I'm like, even though in moments you were had people bullying you racial slurs then you're like peace out i'm going back to india then you're showing up in like your outfits you're like look at this fucking puffer jacket bitches step aside in your uniform totally i've arrived yeah i'm so, from new york right, right. <laughs> but then it's like i wonder i'm curious to know like did you ever in any of these like hard moments adolescent moments where you're like trying to figure your shit out did you ever like cry alone in your room only only alone also i feel like immigrants you know when we come to a different country most of our parents have told us or you know our elders have told us like be invisible don't get into trouble mm. don't attract attention just do your work just survive because that's what they had to do when they came to a country they didn't know the language mm -hmm. they didn't know the culture so they just kept their heads down and worked right so that that was the the culture that was taught to us but i inherently was a peacock and i was like Somebody's trying to curb my shine here, like, you know, um, but I was trying to find my confidence in Cedar Rapids. And I remember I tried to find the cafeteria and you had to go down the spiral staircase to reach this giant cafeteria, which was like a whole floor. And I remember looking down like that and it was like a movie. And I was like, oh, those are the popular kids. OK, OK, nerds. Great. Where am I sitting? 
Everyone had their cliques. Everyone had their friends. I didn't even know how to get the food. So I, I walked downstairs and I'm like kind of observing. I don't know anyone. And I got so terrified that I went upstairs. I put 50 cents in the vending, mach vending machine. I got a bag of Doritos. I went to the bathroom because I didn't want to go to my next class. It was Spanish. I still remember. I went to the bathroom, sat on the commode and ate my Doritos for lunch and cried. And I was like, this is terrifying. But I chose it. I had told my mom I wanted to stay. And I was like, I'm going to suck it up. It's okay. It's okay. I talk, I've always been able to talk myself out of my stress. Maybe because I traveled. My, my, I was raised by many people, not just my parents. My aunts raised me. My grandmother raised me because uh, my parents were working parents. My mother was doing her um, master's when I was born. So it was my grandparents for four or five years. I was with my aunts and family and extended family I've always somehow been able to allow myself to feel broken completely mm -hmm. either go to bed eat a tub of ice cream or a pizza process the feelings and I have allowed myself that duration of that whatever that grief is instead of being hard on myself and then I've also been my own champion like I'll dust myself off and sometimes that time has just been lunch break and sometimes that time has lasted three or four years. But I've kind of, maybe that's why I've never found a therapist is because I just kind of do that to myself. No, I, I think... I give myself a hug. <laughs> You're like, I do the whole process by myself. I don't need to sit on a couch. I can do it alone. No, I really want to experience it though. It's incredible feeling because all of a sudden you start talking about something. You're like, how did I not know this about myself? Wow. What I do love getting to know about you though, that's fun to hear is like, I think this resilience you have clearly from your parents and like listening to like culturally there was something embedded in you but as we all realized like our parents had something they had to go through and then we're like a little bit better than them because yeah. as society continues to progress we're like we're able to do a little bit more than they could so I feel like this resilience in you is so inspirational to like listen to because I'm like oh shit like you felt like such an outsider. You cried with your Doritos, but then still the next day, the fact that you could have left, you could have. I could have. I could have called my mom. and But I was like, I'm going to stick really? it out because I made this decision and I don't want my mom to feel like she couldn't trust me. And this is me at 13. Like that she, she I let her down. Like I, I, and I wasn't, I didn't have a bad experience. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know. Yeah. what to do and how to make friends and it's a new country i always grew up speaking english so that was never a problem okay. it was just the social awkwardness of i spoke differently my accent was different i dressed differently you know i just i mean i was still in jeans but i was like i wasn't cute yet like yeah. i hadn't figured out what fashion was because I was in a uniform in school. Totally. Like, Do you have advice for anyone that's listening that's like, I feel like a complete outsider socially. I feel like I don't fit in. I hate everything about myself. I'm struggling to like find the self-confidence. I feel like you had a very specific situation where all odds were kind of against you and you made the most. Like, what is your advice to someone that's currently going through a similar situation that you were? That I don't think circumstances or your environment can dictate how you feel they can contribute to it mm -hmm. and it's up to you to decide how much you're taking in and how much you're leaving out mm -hmm. so, and I this is not something again that I knew in my 20s obviously I was somehow doing it because I think my parents just like my family just taught me that resilience of bounce back up but um I've always my mom says that to me she's like you're all, you've always been someone who like just bounces up and you're like oh it's okay it's okay it was a mistake I'll, I'll try it again but if you treat life like that like whenever life has been tough and it's been tough many times it's been challenging you know it's been almost down and out and you don't want to get out of bed and you don't want to see anyone but my job I can't make an excuse when I have to go on set mm -hmm. like Canceling a day of production is 400 people not getting paid. It is an insurance liability. It is. So whatever is happening in my life, mm. I had to show up to set. I would go into the trailer. I would take a moment. I would cry my eyes out. I'd be on the phone. I'll have the fight with the boyfriend. I'll like be upset with the, whatever is happening. You know, be rejected for a movie. Mm -hmm. Handle it. I grew up in the public eye. Mm. So I kind of realized that my best person was me 
I had to rely on my skill set. So like if you're having a tough time with a new job, you don't have to worry about people liking you or you're not there for that. You got to be good at your job. So I whenever I was nervous or I was scared, I I started focusing on whatever was the goal in that moment, whether that was the relationship, whether that was the movie, whether that was, you know, whatever it might be, yeah. you know, wearing the right dress or figuring out, you know, how to make friends in a new school. Like, you know, I kind of was like, okay, what's my goal? My goal is to make friends. So tomorrow I'm going to go downstairs to the cafeteria with my bag of Doritos and just observe. So I w- watched alone. I was fine. I was just like watching. I was like, okay, that kid picks up a tray from there. You put the tray down there. You, they give you food. You come to this side. You pay the woman. And then you find your friends. So I was like, there are a couple of things I have to learn here. I have to figure out what food they feed me and where I'm sitting. Because I don't know anybody. So like that, slowly, I just made solution-oriented steps. Hearing you talk about that, you're so right. It's like, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. You have to. And eventually, it's going to come together. And there's usually someone going through something similar. Everyone's going through all the shit. Right. Please, that's the one thing that we never talk about enough. It's like everyone looks put together. We see Instagram. We see our... Me included. Mm -hmm. Like, I put my best version out there. I don't want you to see me in my, like, you know, morning face with, like, you know, swollen eyes. Like, I don't want you to see that. And that's the truth. We live in a world where optics matter and... People have given it so much equity right now. But you have to know that all of those people have their shit. All of them. They all have the drama. They're all like not being able to sleep at night. And everyone has like noise in their heads. And, you know, so we feel so alone sometimes because we stay in our heads with our issues. What has helped me the most is having a really close-knit community. Mm -hmm. You cannot and should not go through life alone. Man is not an island. Humans are not meant to be alone. We are social creatures. Mm -hmm. We have to have, whether that's two people, one person, three people, whoever, you have to build a community. The importance of community, I can't even stress much. It's like my sanity. And I've dealt in this amazingly beautiful two-decade career ups and downs, shit being said to me, being rejected, being a woman in the industry, aging in the industry. I'm expected to look like I looked at 18. So many things that, you know, you deal with that hurt that you handle. But when you go home and you sit with your friends or your family and you're like yourself, goofy, silly, snotty when you cry and they still love you and they still want you to win, then nothing else matters. Then it's a job. It's so fucking Then you just true. go to work. And it sounds so simple. And sometimes it's so fucking it's hard so to hard. remember. But you're so right. And I I appreciate you kind of going through also like that. Your public career is mm-hmm. something that I can only imagine. Like, you know, we're talking about like dealing with things behind the scenes in school. And then at the start of your career, you also face scrutiny where you had to get a nose job for medical reasons. And people in the media, people in the industry had so much to say about it. Can you talk about that experience and like what you remember about that time? It was actually an accident, apparently. I didn't even know I could sue the doctor. Otherwise, we should have done that. But I I spoke about this in my book. It took me years to talk about it because I usually, I reached a point in my life when I became a public person at like 18. I... By the time I was like in my mid-20s, I was like, fuck this. I'm done explaining to people because I'm being used. It's giving another um, wave of fresh gossip to the gossip rags, right? Yeah. If, if, I, if I comment on something that is inaccurate or unquote, like, you know, wrongly quoted or whatever, I'm just giving a fresh cycle yeah. of news. So I was just like, I unless it's it's hurting someone or unless it's like it doesn't matter to me it's like that my you know what's written about me in the rags or the gossip or or all of that is not my job the fame is a byproduct of my job my job is entertainment like acting and like so I came to terms with that but when I was younger at that time I'll take you back to what I felt like I was 18 I just won Miss World and I was always a sickly kid. I had asthma when I was growing up. Anyway, I'm in London, have this 
because that's where Miss World resides. Um, and I had this like sinus, like insane cold headaches. Went to the doctor. They had to do a polypectomy, apparently it was called. Um, and I don't know, he, like I had a thing on my nose and he just came out and he said, I'm 18, so I didn't make sense of it very much. He said, oh, um, you know, I just like added finishing touches to your nose as well <laughs> since you were in there. And all's great and whatever. And he was like, oh, you're going to India. You could travel to India. It's all good. Um, and my mom was like, no, I think we'll wait for like the thing to come off and bandages to come off. Anyway, that stuff comes off. My na- nose is a different shape. Apparently, the bridge of my nose collapsed or something during surgery. And and this guy like bandaged it up or something. <laughs> and I was... So anyway, I land into India. My dad and mom are devastated because obviously I've just become a public person. And now I look completely different. People think it's a choice that went wrong. And I was anyway feeling trauma. Like I wouldn't look at the mirror. I remember I was just turned 19. It was time to give away the crown. And I was so traumatized and depressed because I thought my... And I was told, and it was, at that time my face was my career mm-hmm. and it was now like it looked like something completely that I didn't recognize and I, I was very depressed my best friend Tamanna really helped me through at that time my dad because he was a surgeon found like amazing surgeons in India and helped me reconstruct it but it took a couple of years for it to kind for kind of come back close to what it is right now but I was kicked out of movies that time um, I remember there were screen tests done because there was gossip around how I changed my face. And I was signed for this big movie because I was Miss World. And um, they were like, we want to do a screen test with you. And I was told, like, you know, we're just going in a different direction. And I had science moves. So I was kicked out of two movies. I was the lead in one movie and made the um, supporting part. And somebody else was cast as the lead. And I just thought my career was over before it even started. I was just like... And my dad and mom sat me down. They said, guess what? The great part of this is this was never supposed to be your career. You were working to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. You could be anything you want to be. We'll fix your nose. Sure, your parents are doctors. Like, we got this. They just took the power away from it. Mm. And my dad was like, I had signed these four movies. And I was like, you know, there's no point he was like, you've made this commitment. Just do these four. You can always go back to college. Like, it doesn't matter. Go back to school. Like, want to go to study in Australia? Go to Australia. Do whatever you want if it doesn't work out. And I was like, yeah, true. So anyway, these surgeries started happening. I'm filming for these two or three movies that I had at that time. And by the end of those two or three movies, I, was, I knew what I was doing for the rest of my life. You were raised by incredible parents. Yeah, it seems my parents like. rock. I really. mean, like that is to have parents be able to just like scoop you out of like a really dark time and be like, who gives a fuck? Always, every single time. They just are like, who cares? And my dad, I lost him in 2013 to cancer, but he was the most sensitive guy. So he would get really hurt when I was hurt. Mm-hmm. Like he would physically shed tears and get really hurt when I was hurt but my parents had this amazing ability to just diffuse it mm-hmm. so, and when it gets diffused and I've always tried to implement that in my life is like when you feel like it's so big and it's overwhelming and yeah. there's no space in the room and you can't breathe because you're thinking about this thing and it's big and it's big and it's big when you open up a window there's suddenly air right that window is talking about it that window is talking to someone soundly and decompressing someone you trust, someone you know has your best interest at heart Mm -hmm. and just talking about it. Two days, five days, three hours, whatever it might take. It just takes away the power of that gnarly thing and then you can 
take a breath and like take an informed decision. You're so right talking about it. Like the power of just like discussing it with someone you trust. It's so simple. I never I know. would give it as much credit as I do now in my 40s. Isn't like I it crazy. It's insane. And then all of a sudden you wake up and like sometimes my boyfriend is like, Jesus Christ, like how much longer are we going to talk about this topic? But I'm like, OK, I'm having a full mental breakdown about this. I'm so stressed. And then in the morning after I like kept him up till 3 a.m., you do wake up and yeah. you're like, holy shit, I feel so much better. And it's not going to happen overnight. But like, even when I call my mom about shit and I'm so stressed, that immediately just like alleviates a little bit of the pressure because having that human interaction allows you to just recognize like, oh, this shit is not as serious as I'm making in my head. We're our own worst enemy. You're thinking about it. You're ruminating on it. You're thinking of all the twists and turns that it could go. And then speaking to like someone that loves you and they're like, we got you. Yeah, What's or even like, happen? exactly, talking to someone who loves you, that's the crucial thing, mm -hmm. is it, when you talk to someone who loves you, and you have to be willing to listen as yeah, well. Yeah, great point. Like, and I've been through a time in my life where my best, my best friend, my mom, my family, they would all say, you know what, I'm not even going to talk to you about this anymore, because you're not listening. Oh, I've had that too. Me too. <laughs> like, and it's okay. <laughs> and <shame>. it's okay. <laughs> It is. You don't want to listen at that and you point. you got to be ready to listen. Yeah. How does the like fixation on your looks or bullying feel different as a Hollywood actor versus a teenager in high school? I mean, you still feel really shitty and degraded. And mm -hmm. I think obviously women go through it a lot more than men. I mean, guys have, you know, their whole thing about being fit and looking a certain way in, in entertainment as well. But... Mm -hmm. I think that I was, you know, when I was younger, when you're younger, at least for me, I was at a time in my life where I was developing and growing and I had really, you know, I come from a country where in Asia there's massive equity on light skin. Mm -hmm. So everybody wants to be lighter skinned and um, in America, everybody wants to be darker skinned because you're in tanning machines and tanning salons and for the longest time when I was young, I didn't think that this, my skin was pretty and that like I was dark, dark skinned. And I'm not even that dark skinned mm -hmm. um, compared to people because that's the normal that I grew up with. Right. And then when I was in high school, I had like scars. I was a tomboy. I didn't I wasn't comfortable with like how my legs looked. It wasn't all smooth. My hair was frizzy. I was just not confident mm -hmm. you know so I was you grapple with that stuff but you kind of I found expression and fashion and how I dressed and makeup and like fun friends you know going to the mall like boys all those mm -hmm. things distracted me but I think in entertainment like the narratives are set by our industry a lot of our the narratives that my younger self mm -hmm. went through were because there were ads on TV, which I also participated in later because it was that normal. Mm. That told me that the lighter I was, the prettier I was. And that narrative was set by the industry that I joined. And then the, our industry, whether that's beauty and standards of beauty, like now we're at an age where we're talking about it. Yeah. When I first joined, like 20 years ago, we didn't talk about it. No. It was just expected that you are read skinny, like you're your pelvic bones show that and it doesn't matter how you get there or you know you're you're you look a certain way and anything deviating from that is not pretty people in fashion people in film could actually ask you to be a certain body weight they could actually tell you that you know you have to be able to get into this dress size like that was all okay so and normal it's so now it happens behind closed doors mm -hmm. it still happens mm -hmm. And that's me now mm -hmm. at this position in my life. I cannot imagine young kids out there right. who subliminally or loudly have to hear it. So I think the conversation needs to be loud about like how destructive that pattern is mm -hmm. and who decides what is beautiful. Just like art, beauty is subjective. Yeah. What's beautiful in your culture, like I just said, everyone is jumping into tanning machines in America and everyone is using like fa fairness creams in Asia. So I just think that when we talk about inclusion, we have to give room for what inclusion and what beauty looks like. We have to break actually the narratives that we set up 
of yeah. you know a long time ago of what beauty is we have to have healthy conversation about the female body the male body and aging and the reality of that This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Some things work so well. It's basically magic. Like my favorite highlighters that I'm like, wow, how did you all of a sudden make me look glowing? And you know what else really works, Dottie Gang? Shopify. It is a global commerce platform that helps you sell. I've seen a big difference in my online merch sales. They are especially good at turning browsers into buyers. I can see someone that's been on the site but didn't check out or someone that checked out and then is revisiting the site. Like if you want to grow your business, Daddy Gang, sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash unwell, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash unwell. Shifting to dating a little bit. Ooh, mm-hmm. I knew you'd come to that. <laughs> you knew it was coming. I've heard your podcast. <laughs> Before meeting your husband, mm-hmm. did you find yourself stuck in any patterns with your romantic relationships and the partners you were choosing? Yeah, definitely. In fact, I was a serial monogamist. I went from relationship to relationship mm-hmm. to relationship. I did not give myself time at all between <laughs> between relationships till my last one. Why do you think that was? I think I worked a lot and I always ended up dating the actors that I worked with or the people that I met on my set. And I think that I just thought I had an idea of what a relationship should be like. And I kept seeking that and trying to fit the people that came into my life into my idea of that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I've dated great people yeah, the relationships may have ended really badly, some of them, but like but the people that I've had, I've dated in my life have been really wonderful. But it was like I, after my my ex before my husband, I, I literally took two years off. And that was a big reason I didn't even date Nick at that time because I was just like, I need to know why I keep repeating my mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the repeating of the mistake was always feeling like I need to be the caretaker always feeling like it's okay to cancel my job or my work or my meeting or my priority mm-hmm. to be to make sure that he's propped up i it was so normalized in my brain for so long that i ended up giving the power in such a skewed way that i never stood up for myself i literally would become like a doormat and i was like okay that's fine sure because you know that's Women have been told for such a long time that our role is the glue that binds the family together or the person that like, you know, you've got to make your man feel comfortable when he comes back home. He's got to feel great like that thing. And I also come from a patriarchal society where women, I mean, I think the world is kind of patriarchal, but back home also, you know, like there's a normalcy around like the men eating first and then women in the kitchen and you know you you stay at home career like why do you need a career yes there are so many women around the world that are stepping out and wanting and fighting for their opportunity to go to school to be able to have an education to have a career or to just make choices you know so it, at 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 that time it was like when i was younger it was i was just very grateful to be from a family where my parents gave me that mm-hmm. but um lost my train of thought completely no you're it's so interesting <laughs> no i appreciate you talking about that everything you just made said it made exact sense i'm because like you your every question you ask me takes me to so many different places that's good that's i hope good. so that's great story making any sense no it is because i think you're right where like in relationships it makes so much sense probably why the relationship with Nick is so healthy is because I find like if you go from relationship to relationship and you never pause to be like why didn't that work why the fuck did that end in shambles or why did I feel like shit or even if it was like fine and amicable but it ended like well why and if you just keep going you're gonna do the same thing over and over and to hear you being like it was like people pleasing and I was making sure he was good and I was sacrificing things that I wanted you're never going to change unless you're like Priyanka 
what yeah. am I doing? What do I need to adjust? Totally. And my and, and I like I had reached a point in my life where I was like, what the fucking fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like this is getting self-destructive at this point. And I had to choose me. Mm. I had to be like, I don't owe no one nothing except my family and myself. The people who truly love me. When you're in relationships where you stop recognizing who you are, you stop having your own identity or you stop knowing what is it that you want by yourself or what your goals are, you know, then you're invisible. And I just started feeling invisible in my relationships. And it, it and my husband makes me so feel so seen and so heard. And in fact, I think he thrives on seeing me shine. Like he will watch me like he's the most excited about the shows that I'm doing he was most excited you know when I'm on a carpet you know he'll step aside and he'll take like pictures of me it's just like come on what was I thinking that's what you want you want your man to be your champion you want not you don't want your man to be insecure by you or intimidated by you or like you know like guys especially when I'm I'm an alpha girl. I'm I'm a, I'm an ambitious girl. I am a go-getter. I am not ashamed of that. I've built my career on my own back mm-hmm. and my own steed and I've worked for it. My fortune's mine, <laughs> you know? Like you don't want to be with a guy that dims your shine or feels the need to take away from you even for a moment. Mm-mm. You want to be with a partner that says, "You know what, babe?" There's a problem, but I, I'll tell you later. I got it right now. Why don't you go do your show? Let's have a fun time. Even if there's an issue. Like, that's what you do. And, like, I have found my husband and I have this incredible partnership of, you know, I got you and we communicate and we feel like a sense of, I can lean, you know, that trust exercise? Mm-hmm. Like, I would never do that with anyone else except Nick. <laughs> I, I don't trust that. people. But... He's one that just, I know, has my back. It is really cool to... And it's chill. It's not dramatic. Yes. Like, I can't do drama. No, no drama. No drama. I really respect everything you're saying, too, because I relate to you in a lot of ways of, like, wanting so badly to be able to lean into, like, my career and wanting to have success. And a lot of times, because of, again, the society that we live in, like, a strong woman is terrifying to a lot of men or you'll be labeled a bitch or whatever the word that ambitious is even bad word terrible she's so ambitious oh my. what that's a good thing even the way your face said it is how people say it. like she's so ambitious yeah that's like, exactly disgust. how people say it. what would you say that about a guy right. exactly ever <laughs> exactly and so to hear you talk about nick in a way that's like you finally found someone where you're like i can walk into the room just like I always have and I'm not having to be anything less than myself and I have someone that's propping me up and making me feel great is incredible so let's talk about you and Nick Um, (laughs) what initially attracted you to Nick the fact that he had the confidence to slide into my dms and ask me out I was like what I mean people slide into my dms but no one's ever asked me literally like his message was I've been told we should meet. How cocky. So sexy. <laughs> You're like, that's so fucking hot. Yes, we should. We, and what, did, what did you respond? That is so fucking cocky. Also, I love, I love it. it. It's, it's also so hot because he's not even saying like, I want to. He's just being like, I've been told we should meet. I've been meet. told like, we should meet. I'm like, okay. ah! And what did you say? I don't know. For some reason, I'm following him at this point. He insists I was following him on Twitter. I don't remember that. (laughs) But his version of the story is that I was following him. Hence, he slid into my DMs. But Kevin had watched Quantico, Nick's older brother, and had told Nick, like, you guys should meet. And I was doing um, my TV show, Quantico, at that time. And I had a co-actor called Graham. And he, he had done a movie with Nick. And he was like, you guys should meet. Again, I was in a relationship at that point, and so was Nick. But my co-actors hated my 
my boyfriend at the time because I would always be on the phone in tears and they'd be waiting for me. They're like, get so, out of there, yeah, They were like, you need to get out of this fucking relationship because I was always crying. And so they were always trying to be like, okay, we found this new guy, this guy. So my co-actor, Graham, he was like, you know, you must meet Nick. He's so lovely. You guys would really get on. I didn't take this seriously because I was in the throes of my tumultuous relationship at that point. But he slid into my DMs and I was like, okay, like any self-respecting girl, I Googled him. And <laughs> I was like, let's find out. One night, room service, me and Google. <laughs> like, and guess what came up? This video called Close. And I didn't know, I mean, I knew of the Jonas Brothers, but I, different generations also, but yeah. like, I also didn't really know, mm-hmm. I grew up in India, you know, I was doing like Indian pop culture at that time. I didn't know about um, the music as much. So I, I wanted to Google it and I was like, okay, he looks great in his photos. So I need to like know. And this video for Close comes up and I immediately send him my number. <laughs> You're like, yup, sold. Here at least go. a date. Stop. That body deserves at least a date. <laughs> You're like, the DM was one thing. This body. That video, his voice, insane. that song. Mm-hmm. Still, every time he sings that song on stage for me, like I get weak in my, I get weak in the knees. It's just, it's that's so oh. good. That's they were both good amazing story. in that video. It's such a good story <laughs> it's so hot i love like the audacity of him to just slide in That's and then it. i love i'm picturing you like in the hotel room like sleuthing like, glass of wine <laughs> it's so relatable like looking up who he's dated where he is where does he live and then i like, actually landed on the home page i did nick jonas close came up and i was like sold yep. i didn't even need to look at any other shit i don't give a fuck who we date who's right, dated right we're talking about the future i always say this i don't read my book backwards like i mm-hmm. i believe you know you go forward in your chapters there's a reason you've left people behind mm-hmm. if they're supposed to come into your life that you will they will don't fight it That's so but so i landed on that video and i saw it and i had to like open the window or something <laughs> i was like Jesus dang You're like, where are you tonight <laughs> So my response to him after seeing that video was, why don't you text me? My team can see my DMs. Oh, you're like, this is about to get sexual. (laughs) No, but I didn't want him to think I was giving him my number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the reason was my team. Right, right, right. right. Because I didn't want to be like, you take my number. I just saw the video for close. (laughs) Like I'm wet over here. I've been watching. I've watched it 17 times. If you go to your search history (laughs) that night, it was like replay, replay, replay. So I kind of was like trying to play it cool, you know. It's so so good. When did you know, once you guys started dating, when did you know he was the one? I didn't. He did. I, I, I was still trying to catch up. The thing with Nick is, Anyone who knows him will know this about him. You will play catch up with Nick because he's a leader. He's like, he'll take you and envelop you in this cloud of Nickdom and you just kind of go with it. He's an experienced guy. Whatever happens around him will be amazing. It's just, it's like, and all his friends will tell you this, but it's just, you like, just go with it. And that's what happened when, you know, he... And I finally went on a date. I was out of my relationship. I think he was out of his. We'd been trying to meet a couple of times. He had asked me out on one of our first dates to the White House for, um, yeah, didn't go that day. He went with Jonathan Tucker. Damn it, Tucker. Um, Yeah, because I was filming. But he still makes fun of me. He was like, can you imagine what a story that would have been? Like our first date was Obama's last like dinner or whatever. President Obama's last dinner. Yeah, didn't go. But we got married, so that's right. a better story. Right, so it did work out. <laughs> but like, it would have been the perfect story. Been a great story. From the DM to close to then all of to the White to House. The White House. <laughs> it's like the most perfect story. There had to be a little bump in the yeah. road. So you didn't go to the White House, but you got married. We did. We did. He texted me because now we had each other's number, and we had randomly been texting. And I had gone to Bangladesh for a UNICEF trip, and I was posting about it on my Instagram, and he texted me just talking about how inspired he was by my UNICEF work and just like I he was just very sweet about this part of my life which 
is important to me, but you know, I don't lead with that, but it's like, it's a big part of my life. And he was very insightful about it. So that softened my cold, icy heart at that point a little bit. And then he was like, hey, I'm going to see Beauty and the Beast with a bunch of my friends. Why don't you bring a friend along and we'll go? He's so smart. He knew if he said, come with friends and I'm going with friends. Mm -hmm. And now he admits it. He was like, he actually was asking me out, but he just like padded it with friends. Yeah, so I don't smart. feel smart. so smart. So, very smooth. And we, you know, saw Beauty and the Beast and um, we went out to dinner after and we spent like eight hours that day together. And um, it was a magical evening and nothing happened. Dropped me to my hotel room and... I remember being just so giddy and I, it was late at night. We were with all his friends who all are amazing people. Like, who is this man right. surrounded by great people? Mm -hmm. Family guys hang out with their brothers like they smoke cigars, have tequila. That's their worst vice. Play golf and love sports, love like kids, love parents. Their parents like, What? I was like, where do you, what? That, what? This, this, there's something wrong here. I was like, there's got to be something wrong here. Anyway, I was really taken that day. And the next day he asked me to go, <laughs> so funny, ask an Indian girl to go for a baseball game. Like, I don't know baseball, man. What are you talking about? And I'm like, shit, is it close to cricket? Is it the same thing? I don't even know cricket properly. Like, wait, how do I make conversation? I was so stressed out. Um, my cousin, her daughter, my best friend were getting dressed. I wore a dress. I was like, I, listen, I'm wearing a dress. I wore little kitten heels because I was like, I'm not doing sneakers. I'm not a sports girl. And at that time, I wasn't at all. Anyway, we go to the Dodgers game and it was him and I. And I did not need to know baseball. I did not need to know anything. He talked me through it. He got me snacks. He made jokes. I tried to bring the side cap in and he was like, it'll never come back for you. Don't try. Um, he made me laugh. He made me feel safe. He did not make me feel like I was ignorant about this game that I didn't know anything about. He taught me. He showed me the rules. Oh, that night, like we were together till two o'clock in the morning. And then every day we just met. And the next day he was like, come to the studio. Again, it's my, he's so calculated. So now I'm knowing him, I'm like, I see what you did. He was like, come to the studio the next day. And I was like, yeah, sure. I've been to studios. I was a pop star once for four <laughs> singles. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little different with like, Jonah's brother. I didn't know that till I went there and I took my best friend at the time and I took her and we went there. And he was, just envision this for a second. Yeah. He was conducting... Um, a gospel choir of 20 gospel singers and this uh, for a Broadway show he, that he has written about Curious George written so he's composing this music and these singers are singing and I I swear I felt my knees just like buckle for a second and you know, I was like, oh, I had a meeting, so I had to leave. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go. But I think that was the day I knew that I always knew I had to marry someone that inspired me. I always knew that I would marry someone that made me awestruck. His talent makes me awestruck. Just watching him communicate through music, just like, I, I it's like, it's magical. I feel like it's magical as I'm listening to you talk about <laughs> what you witness. I'm like, I can't yeah, he's so talented. imagine just walking. I know you're so right. He knew what he was doing. He you walk what, into he that knew what he was studio. Doing. He just while there was 20 gospel, mm -hmm. like gospel choir, mm -hmm. you know, people singing just the most musical, magical. He knew totally what he was doing, mm -hmm. and he it worked. It worked. Man. Yeah, we're not mad at you, Nick. We just we, <laughs> we admire to, it. We admire. We admire the planning. That we see it. We see it. We see it. Now we see it five years later. Yes, yes. But who gives a shit? It's fucking yeah. great. I love how you brought up the Jonas brother thing because it's like that is how they come off of like this like wholesome family that just happened to get famous. These boys from New Jersey that are just like doing their thing. What is it like being a part of this like 
brotherhood, essentially. They're so great. I mean, I never, my brother and I were seven years apart, so we didn't have that relationship. I was a grown up when he was still a kid. But these guys, like, the brother thing is crazy. I, I always had, like, sisters and cousins. Like, brothers, like, say mean stuff to each other and still love each other. I'm like, why are you so mean? And he's like, it's my brother. I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's like, that's such a weird thing they do. But they love each other, you know? And they're like, yeah, and like, just means and like take the piss of each other and mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know if sisters do that um, but it, it's so beautiful like I wanted I've always wanted a big family I come from a big family but I wanted a big family that is supportive and loves each other and my in-laws and um, you know my my brother-in-laws and like our whole family when my Indian side and theirs comes together it's just like a big old family and like who would have thought that the normalcy with which they operate, the simple things, I'm so amazed at it every time because I would have thought with, you know, I, I found out a lot more about the Jonas Brothers and their history when, you know, their documentary came out with Happiness Begins. I knew of it. My mother-in-law talked to me about stories from back in the day. And I'd obviously seen like clips here and there. You know of the fact that they had insane like yeah. fandom when they were very young, like at 13 or whatever. But when I saw that stuff, and even when I go to their shows now, their fans are so amazing and invested and they mean so much to these people that have grown up with them that they have grown up with it's just so and I I mean I feel a certain sense like that with you know my fans who've seen me from my first movie to now like Citadel or Love Again it's like they've been on this ride with me and but they their sense of normalcy like the the, the most normal fun people it is really cool to sit down with you and hear the way you talk about your husband and his family, but also you. Like, getting to know you today was so refreshing and cool because, again, kind of like you said in the interview, we see shit online and you can, like, yeah. speculate how someone's going to be. But it's really nice to sit with you. And I know the daddy gang, my fans, are going to, like, be geeking over this interview because you are so warm and you are so strong at the same time. And you just have this, like confidence about you that I feel like everyone's like oh I want to have that confidence like Priyanka it's also really cool your career how much pride you have in yourself of how hard you've worked and I think it's like you should have that and it's really fucking cool to sit with you and like hear from like where you started eating your Doritos in the bathroom to now being like oh I have two movies like here you go like Love Again and Citadel are out right now like you can go watch like it's just a cool full circle moment to see like you really can accomplish whatever you want if you just put your mind to it can you talk to us a little bit about the movies because daddy gang is gonna want to watch they're gonna want to daddy gang show up for me me. (laughs) let's go can you tell me what it was like to work with Celine Dion um she's amazing she's so fabulous she's playing herself in this movie it comes out Mother's Day and it's you know do you love rom-coms yes like a good old you remember like the uh, 90s rom-coms yes. like Jerry Maguire Sleepless in Seattle like those movies yes. that just made you feel feels yes this is that my character loses her fiance he dies mm-hmm. and she's so sad and broken up about it that she starts texting his old phone and that phone belongs to Sam Hewen's character and he starts getting messages from me that I'm sending to my dead boyfriend and obviously we meet, mm-hmm. we fall in love, and Celine helps us come together because, and she orchestrates, she's playing herself, he's a journalist, and she orchestrates us meeting. And um, But it's such a fun, sweet premise. It warms your heart. It like, when I watched it, it was, I was just like, people need to make more rom-coms, you know? And yes. I don't even like watching my own movies, <laughs> but... I, this was just so heartwarming and it's such a fun, sweet movie. I'm so happy because I was just complaining to a friend of mine being like, I need a good rom-com. Like, yeah, I, something I wanna, that like, feeds your soul. Yes, yes. You know? Well, thank God, thank God you're giving it Yay. to us because I know Daddy Gang, you're going to go watch and enjoy and do all the things. But Priyanka, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was truly such a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was such, such a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you for asking like insightful 
I have to tell you this though. Before I came onto your show. <laughs> oh God. I wish this was vodka. What are you about to say? Everyone around me was like, "Do you want a drink?" <laughs> Would you, you like before I came on your show? Do you want a cocktail? For a, you know, just like ease out a little bit. And I'm like, "What? What is it?" Like they were like, "Just you know, she, she like she goes she in there. Goes there, you know. She goes everywhere, and you're not a goer." And I'm like, "I'm a goer. I could, I could go." I'm, I'm, I'll fuck with that. What? Yeah. I'm gonna wear my sneakers and my yeah, sweats. What? I'm going to come in and I'll answer her questions. But I have to tell you, like people love your show and people love what you stand for. And I really think that you have a daddy gang because you're such a smart, strong girl. Mm-hmm. I get interviewed a lot, but it matters to me when someone asking the question actually has read up and done their research and actually treats me like a human being rather than just a subject. And um, that's why you have the love that you do because that's what you do for your people. Priyanka, you're <laughs> going to make me cry. No, thank you so much. I think it's really important to me that like I've sat in inter- interviews before and I'm like, you don't even like care that you you're You don't here. even know what you you're asking what you're me. Exactly. Yeah. And it feels very isolating in that moment that it, like then you start to question like this industry and your life and your like <laughs> it just it's just not fun to do it and I also like am obsessed with just getting to know people so I appreciate you going there even though you're like I haven't been in therapy I don't fucking know I'm like I actually really want to uh you're, we're gonna we're gonna yeah you know, I have to well, find someone it doesn't even seem like you fucking need it you're like I know the exact plan of how I get through my issues and then I'm so here. far I've done that but I've heard it's great it's I, great you I can know. try it as a little experiment but if not I think you're doing just fine I think I'm okay. <laughs> but I will. I will. Okay. I will okay. try it. I'll report back. Okay. 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 <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you Thank for you. having me. This episode is brought to you by DoorDash. One zero dollar delivery fees. Try Dash Pass by DoorDash. Daddy gang, I love being home. I love to be cozy, comfortable, laying on the couch. I can't tell you how many times I need something, but I am too lazy to get up and get out of the house. And sometimes I need food or groceries, you name it. Dash Pass gets it delivered right to my door and yours too. It is only $9.99 a month. So I think it's a really good deal, Daddy Gang. So get $0 delivery fees on eligible orders with Dash Pass and new members get a 30-day free trial. Terms apply. Sign up today.